This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by HostGator, where you'll get 24-7 live support via chat, phone, email, one-click WordPress installs, easy-to-use website builder design services and marketing services like SEO and PPC, and for my listeners, a 30% discount. Go to HostGator.com slash promo slash duct tape. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz. My guest today is Gretchen Rubin. She is the author of The Happiness Project and a book we're going to talk about today called Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Life. She also co-hosts a weekly podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where she discusses good habits and happiness with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. So welcome to the show, Gretchen. Oh, it's great to be talking to you. So um, we already talked about the fact that we're both from Kansas City, so we yes. we've covered that fact. But I also, in looking at your bio in preparation for this interview, saw that you spoke at the World Domination Summit a couple of years ago, and I, I had the pleasure of speaking there last year, and it's it's pretty high on my list as as far as favorite conferences go. No, it's a great conference. Yeah, it really is terrific. So I always wondered what it would be like to write one of these books where you've put yourself out there as a target for, you know, all the world to see, you know, I, I write marketing books. And so if I do sloppy marketing, people point it out to me, but I can't imagine writing a book about happiness. Uh, does, does anybody ever call you out if you're not smiling constantly? No, they don't. You know, and I don't feel any particular pressure to be happy all the time. Uh, you might think that I would, but um, very fortunately for me, the people around me um, don't ever kind of rub my my nose in it and say, hey, Miss Happiness, like, why are you um, acting so crabby or anything? So yeah, yeah. I'm fortunate. No, they don't. Well, I always wondered what it would be like writing, like, uh, people that write those parenting books. You know, their kids are just oh, right they're screwed, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, but also yeah. anybody who's read the book, you know, your, your point in the book is not always be happy. It's, you right. know, it's about the exploration process. So I, I, th- I think anybody who's read the book certainly wouldn't have that view. But I, I just feel, feel like there probably are people out there that uh, – you know, kind of are holding you to a different standard in that category. <laughs> so in looking yeah. at, at those two books, particularly the uh, um, Happiness Project and then um, Better Than Before, uh, I wonder what it would be like. Have you ever imagined if you'd swapped the process of those two books? Because I think a lot of happiness is linked to successful habits, right? Absolutely. And and it's funny that you say that because in a way I feel like Better Than Before is like the prequel yeah. to the Happiness Project. Um and it was funny because when I was writing the book, um, it, my husband said, well, the happiness project was like, oh, how can I be happier? And better than before, he was like, no, really, how can I be happier? Because so often, it's not that people don't know what would make them happier. They're like, I know I would be happier if I got more sleep. I know I would be happier if I spent more time reading. Or I know I would be happier if I exercised regularly. So it's not that they haven't figured it out. They're having trouble following through. And so better than before is really about... How do you go about keeping those habits um, that really can make you happier, healthier, or more productive? Yeah. So uh, the the topic of habits is it's a multi billion dollar industry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, people have you know sell a lot of stuff to people trying to you know, change their habits. And I mean, we can go into every possible category of habits. And and you know, why do you think that's? I mean, what's the kind of human condition that makes that such a a big industry all by itself. 
Well, just because, you know, um, research suggests that habits shape about 40% of every day. And so if your habits don't work for you, it's going to be an issue. Um, And you're going to want to fix that. Either you're going to want to fix that or the people around you are going to want to try to fix that. Like they're going to try to, they're thinking, why aren't you taking your blood pressure medication? Why aren't you managing your diabetes? Why aren't you finishing your PhD thesis? You know, you're asking that maybe, or somebody else is asking that. And so it is a very big business because the stakes in many of these areas are in health alone. I mean, some huge number of preventable deaths in the United States are directly traceable to voluntary behavior um, that people are doing. And so if you can master your habits, it's just it's going to be very beneficial. And so there's... There's a lot of people trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah, and I mean, you can run the gamut. There are some little things that, you know, I'm not going to lose that last 10 pounds unless I, you know, do habits. But then there are some very destructive habits that, yeah. uh, that, that as you mentioned, kill people um, yeah. or, or certainly rob them of, of any kind of uh, life. Um, so I think that that's obviously, a you know, it, this is serious business. Yes, it is. It sure is. So what did you learn about yourself in writing this book? Well, here's a funny thing I learned about myself. When I when I started well when I wrote the Happiness Project um, I figured that I was pretty typical and I was pretty typical. It turns out I'm a pretty happy person and most people around the world, in fact, are pretty happy. Pretty happy or very happy. That's very consistent around the world. And if you take one of these tests that you can take online, there's all kinds of ways that scientists have come up with to rank people, how they fit on happiness or whatever word, subjective well-being or whatever vocabulary word you want to use. I was about a seven, which again is pretty typical. So when I, when I started doing habits, I was very puzzled because it seemed extremely obvious to me that people were not all the same. Like if you read a lot of the stuff about habits, there's sort of this unspoken assumption that if it works for you, John, it will work for me, Gretchen, and we're all the same, and we all have the same attitude about habits, and we all have the same aptitude for changing habits. We're all alike. And there's no framework that exists to identify any differences among people. That seemed to me plainly false. Um, You know, I was like, I don't need to have a lab at Stanford with undergraduates eating marshmallows to tell me that people are really different. (laughs) So I had to come up with a framework. So I came up with a framework, which I call my four tendencies framework. And there's a quiz on my site if there's anybody who wants to take the quiz and find out what their four tendencies are. And what I discovered was that although I went into this project thinking that I was fairly typical, I'm actually an extreme fringe personality, which I must admit came as a surprise to no one but me. Um, I am a person who has a very high aptitude for changing habits and a very positive association with habits, which is very typical of my tendency, of the four tendencies I'm an upholder. Very few people are upholders. However, when you look at the kind of people who write this kind of book, a lot of them are upholders, which makes sense because we're the kind of people who love habits and find them easy to incorporate into our lives and see a lot of benefit from them. So, of course, we're the kind of people who would be attracted to it as a subject, but we're not typical. And so I really had to rethink a lot of the book once that I, once I realized, hey, I'm not the average person here. I'm really coming at this from a very extreme perspective. I have to really widen out my understanding of my subject so that I can, be, I can take into account how most people are going to react or how people, rebels, who are exactly the opposite right. from me are going are to think about these issues. So it's super helpful, 
but it kind of blew my mind because um, I had to really rethink a lot of things. I, I think that's actually one of the more enlightening and equally frustrating things about the book, if I may, because I think uh, we I think we all want the seven steps to changing my habits. Yeah, um, yeah you've got and, a magic one-size-fits-all solution. Right. Yep. But by the same I token, it. I think you've done a great job at recognizing this, you know, not the same, not everybody can take the same dose of the same medicine and get the same results. Um, and so um, I think I find myself somewhere between a questioner and an obliger uh, mm. myself. But, uh, but I think that that's, you know, that's what makes it hard because you start out with the premise of, well, it depends, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, and, 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 and that's exactly right. I mean, my answer for just about everything is it depends. But right. it, it, it depends on your four tendencies, but then it also depends on a lot of other things. Like, are you a morning person or a night person? Yeah. And, you know, there's like the, 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 the advice that we all hear is you should get up first thing in the morning and exercise. Cross it off your list. You'll get a mood and energy boost to the last throughout the day. You'll get it done without any kind of interference. I'm like, well, that makes sense if you're a morning person. Yeah, right. But if you're a night person, you're barely getting out of bed in time to go to work in the morning. It's just not realistic to ask that of yourself. If you try to make that your habit, you're going to fail. You're just setting yourself up not to succeed. So you have to ask yourself, am I a morning person or a night person if I'm going to try to form a habit? Because that's really important. Um, well, I think you know, also you're a sprinter you're, or a marathoner when right. it comes to working. Marathoners like to work slowly and steadily over long periods. Sprinters like to work like very, like they like to do very very intense work right up against the deadline. Well, there's no right way or wrong way. It's just yeah. what works for you, but it has a huge influence over what kind of habits you're going to be attracted to. Yeah, and I find also um, your environment. You know, the thing I I yeah. I, I work pretty. Um, I wouldn't say I'm in a high pressure job at all, but I put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, when you're self-employed, um, yeah. you know, to, to get a lot done. And, you know, I can start, I do exercise. I am a morning person. I exercise in the morning and I mean, I come out of there with, you know, I'm on fire with, you know, healthy habits and, you know, by three o'clock, show me the donuts, you know, cause I'm, yeah. I'm fatigued you know, yeah. from making good decisions all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so it is very true that you want to think very hard about everything that's around you. So, because one of my big things is like, don't. A lot of times people are like, "Well, I need to work on my self control. Yeah. I need more willpower." Yeah, right, I'm like, right. "No, you don't, because self control and willpower are very draining and difficult to use. We don't have a ton of it. Yeah. It's hard to use it. It's hard to make decisions." People often say to me, "I want to go through my day making healthy choices," mm -hmm. and I'm like, "No, you don't. Right. Every time you make a choice, you can make the wrong choice." Habits are freeing yeah, and yeah. energizing because we don't have to use our self-control. We don't have to make decisions. You're not deciding every morning to get up and exercise. You just do it. That's yeah. your habit. You don't decide. You don't reward yourself for it. It's just what you do. Um, and the more things that we can put on automatic pilot like that, the easier it's going to be. Now, obviously, though, it's easier not to even think about a donut if there's no donut sitting right, right, right next right, to your right, dress. Right. You right. put the donuts there. You know, you're, for a lot of people, you're asking for trouble. Yeah, you uh, want to make everything support you um, in those habits. It, you, you're surely familiar with uh, Charles Durig's uh, great book, yeah. uh, The Power of Habits. Yeah. And, and I remember, yeah, he's a pal of mine. Um, I remember one... Um, one thing in in uh, I had him on the show. It's been years ago when that book first came out, and uh, you know one of the things he talked about that it, that what helped him was that he had to if he wanted to create a new habit, it 
You only he only had so many room, so much room for so many habits. So he, so something had to be knocked out of the way. So if he wanted to replace a bad habit, he had to replace it with something that was healthier, or or you know a habit or a routine that could allow him to stop doing that bad habit. Uh, I think he used a, a silly example of you know the the, bra- the break room had uh, cupcakes and cookies, and at three yeah. o'clock he would go down there. Well, instead he decided to start having this ongoing discussion with a group of folks about some you know book they were yeah. all reading or something and. Yeah, that's a, that's a strategy. You know, in my book, I talk about there's 21 strategies people can use, and that's a very helpful strategy. Unfortunately, it's not a strategy that works for all habits because it's like I'm not working on my this novel that I'm supposed to be writing my free time. Like I don't see like it does, sort of doesn't translate. Like it's not the same thing as like I'm going to eat an apple instead of a chocolate chip cookie. You know, so I think that's very helpful for certain kinds of habit change. Um, you know, but some, I think for some people that kind of leaves them scratching their head. Like, what do I do with a different kind of habit that I'm trying to form? Um, so, yeah, that's that is a re- that is one of the re- a really powerful one. Well, another one I love uh, that you talk about is pairing. Yeah. Uh, um, to me, especially in an office situation where you know you, you're doing a lot of things without I shouldn't say without thinking, but you know you're doing a lot of routines, you're doing a lot of things. You get up and you know if you if you you know. Want to want to do more push-ups? You know, you do push-ups every time you go to the bathroom you know, or something. Yes, like, yeah, right, 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 right. No, yeah. So pairing um, is when you take something that you have to do or that you enjoy doing and pair it with something that you want to make into a habit. So, right, you know, if you want to go to the bathroom, you have to do push-ups. Well, you know, at a certain point, you're really going to want to make that exactly. stop. Um, or, uh, you know, like for a lot of people, they pair TV, a, a particular television show, with the treadmill. So if you want to watch Game of Thrones, you have to be on the treadmill. If, and it's not a reward. Right. You have to be on, if you're on the treadmill, as long as you're on the treadmill, you can watch Game of Thrones for as long as you want. But let's say you're sick in bed and you're too sick to run. Does that mean you get to watch Game of Thrones? No, because Game of Thrones only happens on the treadmill. And by pairing it, it's like those two things start uh, you, you you strengthen the habit because of this associated behavior. So Absolutely. A, a, a lot of people will get something started, and here's, you know, I hear from people a lot of times, and, and you know, you read all these books that say you, you do something for 21 days in a row and you know, it's <laughs> right. locked yeah. in. Um, I, you know, how do you, there's a lot of people that start off, you know, New Year's resolutions is a great example with things that they plan to do, and they even get doing it, but they just can't make it stick. Yeah. You know, and that's a huge theme throughout uh, throughout Better Than Before, which is like, how do you form it, and then how do you stick to it? Because it's no good to start. Starting is actually not hard. It's right. maintaining and um, coming back after a lapse. And so, um, and so, uh, within the twenty one strategies, there's a I talk about that a lot. Um, and um, one of the one of the most important strategies is the strategy of safeguards, which is planning for failure, which sounds kind of fatalistic, but it's really important to do, to think about, like, well, what am I going to do when I'm on vacation? What's going to happen when I go to the office party? What about over the holiday? What's my habit going to be? And really try to think about what the stumbling blocks might be and how you're going to deal with them. And then also, okay, I did screw up. What what happens now? Because sometimes people are like, well, that's it. You know, I had one mini brownie and I bummed my diet, so just... Might as well be hung for right. a sheep as for a lamb. I'll eat the whole box. And yeah. so, how do you think about? And there's an English proverb that I love that I always remind myself of, which is a stumble may prevent a fall. Mm. Which is to try to see mm. a lapse as being a learning opportunity, 
you know, um, I'm going to do better next time. Also, you know, a lot of times people think that if they heap themselves with guilt and shame, if they screw up, that they're going to somehow energize themselves to do a better job with keeping their good habits. But in fact, research shows that people who show more self-compassion actually do a better job of getting back in the saddle. And so if you say to yourself, well, you know what, I learned my lesson, or I'm not going to miss, I'm not going to, that's not going to happen again, or well, we've all, you know, it wasn't my best day, and then try to learn um, how to get back into it. Because it is true, you have to hold sort of two things in mind at once. On the one hand, if you're trying to form a habit, you really want to be consistent, especially at the beginning, that's how, that's going to really help your habit lock in. On the other hand, so you want to say, like, I really, really, really don't want to screw up. I really, really, really want to stick to my good habit. On the other hand, you want to say to yourself, but if I do screw up, it's not such a big deal. Yeah. I can get back in the saddle and do a better job next time. Yeah, because your subconscious mind actually wants you to screw up, so you can't beat yourself up over it, you know, or that but that subconscious mind takes over. <laughs> so... <laughs> so um, you know, you, you started to allude to this, um, and, and this is always a tricky time for me, and you, you travel a lot. Uh, but, you know, when I travel, of course, it blows my routine all to heck, and, and so then, you know, then my habits go out, the, my good, ha- healthy habits sometimes uh, go out the door with them. How do you, how do you stay on track when, because I, I find it really, you just talked about it, you know, if I know my shoes are right there, and I put them on first, and I go run, you know, I mean, all the things kind of click for me because it's my routine, but, yeah. then, but then I get that routine knocked off, and, and it's harder. Yeah. Um, yeah, travel is a time that's very hard for people. So one is to really think about it in advance. The strategy of scheduling is that if something's actually on the schedule, yeah. on the calendar, people will do a much better job. So if you're going to be traveling, you want to say to yourself, okay, when I'm in Chicago, when am I going to exercise? And really think it through so that you're not just – because something that can be done at any time is often done at no time. So if you're just like, oh, when I have a few minutes, I'll run down to the gym in the hotel. You're like, no, that's not going to happen. So you really want to say, okay, the right time for me to go to the gym – given the time that I land and the time that I had meetings and everything is four o'clock. Four o'clock is when I'm going to and really like put it in your calendar, just like anything else, because that's going to make it a lot easier for you to go. Um, and then when it, so that's exercise. Um, and then something that helps a lot with eating is bright line rules. Um, this is a law. I was trained as a lawyer and this is a legal term, which is like a bright line rule is something where there's no ambiguity. It's like, you're, it's this or it's that. It's, mm. And then it's easy for people because they're like, I know if this is legal or not. I know if this meets the standard or not because it's very clear what the lines are very bright. So I'm one of these crazy low-carb people that you read about. That's what works for me. So I really don't eat anything that has carbs in it beyond like almonds, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I travel... I eat exactly the way that I eat at home because I have a very bright line rule about what I do and don't eat. So if I'm in the airport, am I thinking, oh, it's okay for me to get a pretzel? No, because I don't eat carbs. Is it okay for me to get a cupcake? No, because I don't eat carbs. Yeah. I so it's very clear. I, I think you're out of luck in, the, in, the, in most airports. Um, right. Well, you really have to plan for it, so you have to bring your... But, you know, they're getting better, right. so there's yeah. a lot of times there's cheese, there's almonds, yeah. there's things to eat if you think about it and plan ahead. But if you, um, you know, you have to be, and that, again, is the strategy of safeguards. How am I going to deal with this? If I can't easily eat something, that's the kind of thing that I eat, um, how am I going to deal with it? And this is, this is a strategy, this raises an issue of a strategy that works very well for some people and not at all for others, which is the strategy of abstaining, which is for some people who are like me, abstainers, when we face a strong temptation, it's easier for us to have none 
than to have a little bit. And then moderators get kind of panicky if they're told they could have none. So they do better when they have a little bit or they have something sometimes. And so you just need to know who you are. But a lot of times there's conflict in offices or in households because one person brings in the ice cream and the other person says, why did you bring it in? I'm going to eat the whole thing. And they say, oh, you have to learn to manage yourself better. And then everybody gets in a big fight. But it's just like there's no right way or wrong way. There's two kinds of people who form two kinds of habits. So if you know who you are, then you can do the thing that works for you. Yeah, you mentioned the workplace, and I was going to ask about that. I, I think you're seeing more and more, you know, some of these apps, and and yeah. you know, people are bringing it into the workplace. This idea of yeah. having accountability teams and things. Uh, do you, do yeah. you think, Do you think that that? Do you think there's almost an obligation? That's probably too strong a word, but uh, you know, for workplaces to to try to help folks uh, with those types of habits, if, if if nothing else, give them the space to to do what they need to do. Well, I think there's a real role for it, but I mean, the one the what the big trend that I see that's not helpful for habits is that there's so much free food. Yeah, it's ubiquitous. It's free. There's a huge variety. It's just like you can't, I mean, in a lot of places now, you can't walk down the hall without there being free food right there. And people find that very hard to resist. I have a, um, I have a niece that works for Google, and they, they joke about, uh, you know, how when people yeah. would go off to college and put on yeah. the, the college 10, well, they call it yeah. the, the Google 10. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, and it's, it's really a trend yeah. um, that, uh, you know, and people respond to it. Like, they seem really excited and happy about it. Um, because they're like little kids. Yeah. I mean, basically, anything that's true of a five-year-old is true of somebody who's 45. I mean, and, it's exactly, and it's free? It's free? Uh, yeah, no, it's free. <laughs> so it's very hard to turn it down because it's free. Um, and it's also just sort of ubiquitous. So, like you said, at 3 o'clock, like, then you're worn down. Yeah, it's yeah. like you resist, you resist, you resist, but then you have a weak moment, and it's right there, and you eat like 50 pounds of chocolate-covered pretzels, you know? Right. And often it's presented in a way that makes it hard to manage. For instance, they typically will have like big bins well, you know, I don't know what you call it when you lower a lever and it pours out yeah. into a bag that <laughs> yeah. you hold. Instead of being like if it were like a bag of candy, you'd be like, well, I'm not going to eat three bags of chocolate-covered, right, right, right. you know, peanuts. But if it's just in a bag, you're like, oh, well, I just held the lever down for one minute or like 10 seconds. Like, yeah. But, but, but so, then you, um, you also get to rationalize. But they're gluten-free. Oh, but they're gluten-free, they're healthy. Um, but so I think there's a huge role for, yeah. for employers to play. Um, there was a brilliant um, plan that I heard that combined the strategy of monitoring and the strategy of reward, um, which was if you went to the company gym 75 times in a year, then they tracked that. So yeah. you knew how many times you'd gone to the gym because they kept track. Yeah. If you went 75 times in one year, what did you get as a reward? you got the next year free. Oh, well. So the reward for exercise was more exercise, yeah. which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a t-shirt. Yeah. You know, it, wasn't, it certainly wasn't a cupcake with your name on it. Yeah. It was more exercise, which is exactly what they want you to be doing. Yeah. It's like, that's, excellent. You, got, you get more for free. Awesome. So you have... Uh, the accountability, the, the accountability yeah, groups yeah. that you mentioned is huge. There's a starter kit on my site, and so many people have requested this. Um, because for many people, obligers, back to the four tendencies, are people who really, really need external accountability in order to keep their good habits. And so you can just form these groups yourself. People don't even have to have the same habits. It's just the idea that they're holding each other accountable. Um, you know, and it could be, you know, people at work, your family, any, any kind of group, just so that you know that someone's kind of looking over your shoulder. For many people, that is very, very powerful. Um, so these accountability groups 
can be really, really terrific. So you mentioned uh, resources a couple times. So um, I, I oh, yeah. they're, they're at GretchenRubin.com, but is there any particular place uh, people should be looking for them? Yeah, well, um, on the in the resources, if you look under Habits Resources, you'll see that you can take the quiz, you can get yeah. the starter kit for the groups, and then things like eating better than before and working better than before that are like specifically targeted to different groups. And the discussion guides, like if you're in a work group that talks about books or a regular book group or a spirituality book group, there's discussion guides. So there's a lot of stuff. Plus, I post every day about my adventures. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of material on the site. Awesome. Well, Gretchen, I'm glad we finally got to catch up uh, and uh, talk a little bit about uh, old days in your uh, stomping ground in Kansas City. But Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but, uh, no, in fact, uh, well, you mentioned my, my podcast with my sister Elizabeth, and she was just talking about Kansas City on the podcast. So we were reminiscing about Kansas City very recently on Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck with uh, Better Than Before, and uh, hopefully we will see you out there on the road. Excellent. Thanks so much. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.